Welcome to Covenant Presbyterian Church in West Des Moines, Iowa. This sermon is part of our mission to bless our neighbors to the glory of God. We hope it blesses you. I have a show and tell this morning, and it is very small and in my hand, as you can see here. Um, this is a coffee mug uh, from the first church that I served after I was ordained up in northern Minnesota. Um, it says kind of vaguely over here on this side where it has been washed a little much, uh, Hope Community Presbyterian Church. And then on the side that you can see on the screen, um, it's got a lovely little uh, pencil drawing of the church and then uh, a question. And the question, what's that question say? What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you? Who knows the answer to that question? Yeah, okay, we got it. We assembled it all out of pieces. Yeah, to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Yeah. Um, and so that's like the theme verse of this congregation here, right? So there was, um, there was an ex-Lutheran in the congregation. There were lots of ex-Lutherans in the congregation, but um, Neil was more Lutheran than ex uh, most of the time, and he called this the guilty Presbyterian coffee cup um, because it gave him the sense that um, this what does the Lord require of you gave him the sense that we were trying to earn God's grace somehow by doing what God wanted us to do, which is, of course, not what everybody uh, thought most of the time, but that's how it was interpreted, at least by that one who um, was always sort of out front with his opinions anyway. Um, and, you know, here at Covenant, we, so we don't um, center around this particular verse, um, but we may actually feel a similar what uh, Neil would call guilt, and many of us probably don't feel it as guilt, um, but responsibility, um, around at the very end of our service when we are singing that response after the benediction, and we sing about the angels are not sent into this world to do what we are meant to do, right? We have a sense of responsibility for what we are meant to do, um, and I kind of get where Neil's coming from with this. It can feel a little bit um, like we are being sent out with a job and sort of, you know, here you've done this thing, now go, good luck, right? Now it's your responsibility to do, which is not the idea, right? Because when we are sent out, when we are sent out to go do what the Lord requires of us or go to do what we are sent to do in Jesus' name, we're not just doing that as a responsibility under our own power, right? We are doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit. We're doing that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, in the church, in the lives that we live in the world. So our scripture reading this morning uh, tells us about that Holy Spirit. It rewinds um, all the way back to the night before Jesus was arrested and put on trial and killed, and he is preparing his disciples for what's about to happen to him, and because it happens to him, it's happening to them. So he's preparing them for all of that that's about to go on, and part of what he's preparing them for 
is what we celebrate today on Pentecost when the Holy Spirit comes. So I will invite Sally to lead us in our scripture reading. Let us pray. Lord God, pour out your spirit upon us to bring good news to the oppressed and let your word be fulfilled among us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The scripture reading today is from the New Testament, John 15, uh, verse 26, through John 16, verse 15. If you would like to read with me this morning, that would be great. When the Advocate comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who comes from the Father, he will testify on my behalf. You also are to testify because you have been with me from the beginning. I have said these things to you to keep you from stumbling. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, an hour is coming when those who kill you will think that by doing so, they are offering worship to God. And they will do this because they have not known the Father or me. But I have said these things to you, so that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told you about them. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your hearts. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will prove the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin. Because they do not believe in me about righteousness. Because I am going to the Father, and you will see me no longer. About judgment, because the ruler of this world has been condemned. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I say that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. I went to Ames on Friday morning for the prayer service at Cornerstone Church to pray and grieve together for those two members of their college ministry who were shot to death as they arrived Thursday night for the first meeting of the summer. And I'm not going to preach today about the shooting 
on Thursday night. Um, you can talk to me later about the intersection of domestic violence and easy access to guns and ammunition. And I'm not going to reach for platitudes about God's presence in the midst of tragedy, and I am really thankful that I didn't hear any BS about that on Friday morning as that church gathered for prayer and worship. What I saw and what I heard on Friday morning was the Holy Spirit. What I saw and heard on Friday morning was the Holy Spirit showing up in that place, in that congregation, in that time of worship together. So as we celebrate the gift of the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday, I'm just going to testify to how I saw the Holy Spirit bearing that community through their shock and their grief. It is fair to say that they don't teach us in seminary how to organize a prayer service for 15 hours after a double murder-suicide at the church building. I'm sure that pastors that led that service on Friday didn't learn how to do that either, and I pray that I never will have to try. But that service, it was not a funeral. Each victim will have their own funeral at the time that we gathered for that worship service, the names of the victims actually had not even been publicly announced yet, although they were well known within the congregation that gathered there. The service was simply a time for the congregation to be together. Now, it takes some faith to simply stand up in front of 500 people in shock and grief, and the pastors, they stood up and they shared their own tears and their own vulnerability with that congregation. Their prayers were honest and broken. They read scripture that testified to a promise that we could hardly believe right then in that moment, and they led us in music that spoke about faith and lament and praise. So I went to pray with that community. I went to show up where I might be needed. And so I spent that service praying for pastors Mark and Troy and Saul as they led their congregation. Only they weren't the ones leading. They had pastor in front of their name, but they weren't the ones pastoring at the end of the day. Now, I'm sure they are all fine preachers and leaders and caregivers, but they weren't the ones doing it that morning. I witnessed, yes, their experience in ministry, their honesty in showing up. I witnessed scripture readings and music that were written, thankfully, long before that Friday morning. But what I saw was the Holy Spirit gathering that together, gathering together the experience and the wisdom, gathering together the words and the music and the prayers and the presence, and lifting up from that ministry to that congregation that nobody in that room was capable of providing by themselves. The Holy Spirit gathered 
us together and lifted up our sighs and our sorrow that were too deep for words and breathed through that congregation a witness to the risen life of Jesus Christ. And I am confident that every person in that room ended up saying and singing words that they were not capable of saying or singing, much less believing on their own. So today we, several of us, dress ourselves in red. We dress this sanctuary in red to celebrate the Holy Spirit, the God who is nearer to us than our breath. We sang that iconic story of rushing wind and tongues of flame landing on the church, and the scripture reading then pointed us earlier in the in the gospel narrative to the evening before Jesus' arrest, his trial, his death, and that long after-dinner speech that he gave to his disciples. Jesus was preparing his disciples for something that they could not possibly be ready for. He was preparing them for his physical absence. Many of us still cry during Holy Week at the shock of Jesus' physical absence as he is taken away from us. And of course, the disciples will grieve. They will grieve Jesus' death, as he says. We have to grieve what hurts. And in the midst of our grief, God is present there by the Holy Spirit. Jesus calls it the Spirit of truth, the enduring presence of God that testifies to eternal truth and in so doing disproves the way that the world works. Truth, that's not about changing our minds, it's about showing us where to walk. The short answer is to walk with Jesus. Not to walk according to some set of rules that we have to follow, but to walk with Jesus, where Jesus still is as the Holy Spirit shows us what God is still doing in the world today. And what God is doing in the world today, as Jesus says, proves the world wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. The world tells us that sin is about disobeying social norms, but the Holy Spirit tells us that Sin is about separating part of our life from God, as if God were not sovereign of all life. And the Holy Spirit teaches us that the proper response to sin is confession and forgiveness. The world wants to tell us that righteousness is about following rules, but the Holy Spirit tells us that righteousness is what reveals God's will for the world through words and actions that show compassion. The world wants to tell us that judgment is all about condemnation and violence, but the Holy Spirit teaches us that judgment, paradoxically, judgment looks like Jesus laying his life down in love for the world. The Spirit of Truth tells us that truth looks like forgiving sin and confronting injustice and gathering in the excluded and voluntarily laying down our lives in love. And the thing about the Holy Spirit is that it so often looks like the life of the human being living it out. 
See, God is this abstract concept that we can debate in philosophical terms, and Jesus, we can usually agree, at least is some ordinary human person with big ideas, whether we accept anything theologically about him or not. But the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is made clear to us through what seems like really perfectly mundane human actions in the world. But in fact, that Holy Spirit is a revelation of God in Christ present and active in our lives today. I didn't only see the Holy Spirit working up on the stage at that church on Friday. I saw it everywhere in that congregation. After the service, I stuck around to just keep an eye on the room and see if there was anybody sitting alone who looked like they didn't need to be sitting alone, to make sure that someone was with them during this time. And I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't find anybody in this room sitting alone. I saw the way that this congregation gathered together around each other in pairs and trios and occasional whole sets of rows of the congregation with their arms around each other, leaning on each other, praying with and for each other. That was the Holy Spirit, too. That was the Holy Spirit right there as well. Those prayers and those deep caring conversations, those were bearing witness to God's presence among that community in the midst of their deep grief and shock. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. That's Christ's ministry continuing among the church and in the world today. Thanks be to God. Amen. And now, a moment for mission. Our moment for mission this morning lifts up the Pentecost offering. From the day they are born and even before they are born, we are busy making plans for our children. Some of our planning is about the really big things like the name they will carry or finding the college that will help them fulfill their dreams. Some of the planning is much smaller, like what will they wear on their first day of school? What is their time to make for dinner? The truth is, whether it's about something big or small, our lives are consumed with making plans for our children. But we aren't the only ones. No matter how much time we spend making plans, doing our very best for our children every day, we can never know what God's plan is for them. God is planning much more than we can ever imagine. As it states in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, to give you a future with hope. Yes, hope. Our plans as a church need to include helping our young people build a life grounded in faith that will last a lifetime and will allow them to come to know the God of hopeful futures to inspire them to share their faith, ideas, and unique gifts with the church and the world, and in so doing, bring hope to others. On Pentecost, we celebrate that God offers more than we can plan. Our gifts to the Pentecost offering connect with God's hope and the future by supporting ministries with children, youth, and young adults by building a life of faith. 
through the Young Adult Volunteer Program, Presbyterian Youth Triennium, the Educate a Child Transform the World Initiative, and right here at Covenant this summer's youth mission trip to Wildwood Hills Ranch. We join in ministries that connect young people with one another and with caring communities, helping them shape a life and a future beyond even the one we could plan for them. Thank you for listening. Learn more about our mission at wdmcovenant.org.